realize that in my beginning years of preaching, this issue was confined a little bit more to certain denominational groups. But today I would say it's much more pervasive because it's gained a lot more acceptance. And the other thing that I have noticed, that it has gained more acceptance among our people, and I hear a number of young people talking about this issue. And really, it is the issue and the problem of subjectivism, that a lot of people have a subjective view of truth. In other words, what that means is that objective truth becomes subordinate to our feelings, to our moods, to our opinions, to our think-sos, to our experiences, and that sort of thing. I was reflecting on a fact back uh, in the 1970s. There was a hit song by Pat Boone's daughter, Debbie Boone, that some of you remember, You Light Up My Life. And there's different interpretations of that song, but it included a popular line that says, it can't be wrong when it feels so right. And that's a notion that a lot of people have today. Through the years, I've heard people say things when I've studied with them. say, well, preacher, I won't tell you what. I feel it right down here in my heart. And they will usually pat their chest. In fact, I've actually had people reading something from the Bible and say, well, I, I don't know about that, but I know what I feel. Appealing, of course, to their opinions or their feelings. And then there was a lady that was expressing her religious views that were not founded in Scripture. And in trying to reason with her, she just said, well, I'm going to tell you what, preacher, it's better felt than telt. And that's the notion some folks have. So I want to talk to you tonight about three words, facts, faith, and feelings. And the question we want to raise tonight is, how do your feelings relate to your faith? Sure is good to see each one tonight. We have a good crowd back this evening. Uh, did the deacon ask for the cell phones when people came in tonight so people wouldn't be watching the ball game or anything like that? We didn't do that tonight. Okay, well, you're on your honor system, you see, not to do that sort of thing. That's what TiVo was for, right, guys? All right. Well, it's good to see you. We're glad you're here. We have guests with us tonight. We thank you for coming and hope that you be edified and uplifted by the thoughts that we want to share together for a few minutes. I want to really deal with six biblical truths that I think can fundamentally change our approach to feelings and faith when we look at the facts of the matter. So let's begin. Number one, I want to just say in the very beginning of this, to have a balanced view of this topic, God does care how we feel. He, he cares how you feel. In First Peter chapter 5, and verse 8, he says, Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And so whatever cares you have, whatever problems you have, whatever feelings you have, whatever challenges you deal with, God cares. The song says, yes, he cares. I know he cares. And God cares and God cares. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about that if he cared about the lilies of the field, how much more is he going to care about you? If he cares about the birds of the air, how much more is he going to care about you? So God cares about our feelings and the things that we deal with in life. In fact, when you look back to the Old Testament, and I started looking at some things, and we could take the whole lesson going through different situations where God shows his care for his people and his concern for their feelings. 
for the frustrations they were dealing with, for, for some of their emotions and some of their anxieties that they were dealing with. He heard the cry of his people when they were in Egyptian bondage. And as they cried out to him and they were enslaved and impoverished and, and they were hurting. And God cared about their hurts. He cared about their feelings as they were in bondage. When Job was suffering with all of the mental and physical and emotional things that he was going through, in Job chapter 5 and verse 11, Job said this about Jehovah. He said, He sets on high those that are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. Now, at this point, Job didn't know how this is going to happen, and Job had a lot of questions that are going to have to be answered. But he had a faith in God that even though that he was at an emotionally a low ebb, that God was there and God cared and would lift him to safety. Jesus, in fact, came to show us how much God cares. And we see so many examples in the life of Christ of his care for people. We read, of course, in the study of raising Lazarus. When he came to the tomb of Lazarus, it says that Jesus wept. Then Jesus looked around and, and other people were at the tomb and, and they were weeping and they were broken and, and their sisters were broken. And I think Jesus was touched with compassion and he was able to feel what they felt. He cared about their feelings and Jesus wept as he was in the face of death. When the disciples were troubled and, and worried, Jesus came to them and he said, be of good cheer. He was concerned about their emotional troubles, and he wanted to bring cheer to their lives. And even we studied this morning when he was hanging on the cross, fighting for his life, dying, really. And there was a thief on the cross that he was concerned about his destiny and about his feelings. And, and Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. And so here is a man who no doubt felt miserable about the mistakes of his past life. And, and he showed a penitent heart and spirit. And Jesus promised him a place in paradise. And so let's understand in the beginning that God does care about your feelings. When your heart is hurting, God knows it. And God is, God is concerned about that. And God wants to soothe the broken heart. God really does feel your pain. That's the first thing. But the second thing we need to understand is that the devil is the master at manipulating your feelings. And so when we think about some of the different kinds of feelings we have about certain circumstances or situations, we need to stop and look where are those feelings coming from? What is the source of those emotions or things that we may be feeling? We've been studying in our Revelation class on Wednesday night of the deceptive nature of the devil. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10, it talks about the devil who deceived them. And when you think about the different ways in which the devil was a deceiver in the Bible, you go back to the very beginning, and he made Eve feel like she was missing out on something. And that he, that he deceived Eve. And as she looked at the fruit and, and she saw that it was good and it, it was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, that she felt like after talking to the devil, this, this will be okay. But of course, it wasn't okay. She disobeyed the word of God. Or we think about how Job's life was made miserable. Let's never forget when we look at what Job faced 
that it was the devil that brought these things. It was the devil that brought his misery and that God allowed that, but it was the devil that brought it. And so I need to remember that maybe when I'm feeling low and when I'm suffering and, and when I'm hurting physically or mentally and emotionally, let's don't blame God for it. Let's don't say it's God's fault or allow those feelings to lead us to do something or go into a place that we ought not to go. Let's lay the blame at the feet of the one that is the great deceiver, the devil. In fact, the devil even tried to manipulate the feelings of Jesus and the temptations, didn't he, in Matthew chapter 4, and the three different ways that he tried to tempt him to turn, turn the stones into bread. You, you suppose after 40 days that Jesus was feeling hungry? That Jesus was feeling like that, that he wanted something to eat? And being the Son of God, he could have done that. He could have turned the stones into bread. But Jesus did not allow the devil to manipulate his feelings, the feeling of hunger that he had, to do something that would be selfish and an abuse of the power that he had as deity. And so if the devil tempted the Son of God and tried to manipulate his feelings, he wants to control your feelings. And the devil is going to try to do things. Now, I know some people don't believe in the devil. And some people question the devil. But I'm going to tell you what. The Bible says the devil is a real wicked spiritual being and peter warns us in first peter chapter 5 that he's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour and so he's going to look for any kind of a foothold that he can get to be able to do that the devil wants to control your feelings he's at the master of trying to make you feel bad and he's going to use every trick in the book you know when you obey the gospel and you're saved from sin the devil doesn't want you to feel safe. I've talked with people sometimes. They say, you know, Ken, I, I just don't feel like maybe I'm right with God. I don't feel like I'm a good Christian. And I, when people say that, I never, you never want to blow that off. I would say, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Why do you feel that way? Well, I don't know. I just, I just feel like maybe I'm not a good Christian. And if they won't get specific with me, sometimes, depending on the person, how well I know them, I might ask them some shocking questions. Are you, you know, are you doing this or doing that? Well, no, I'm not. I'm not going out on a Friday night getting drunk or I'm not having an affair. I said, OK. I said, well, what is in your life that makes you feel that way? Well, I don't know. I just feel like maybe do you suppose the devil would try to get into our thinking and our feelings to make us doubt and make us worry and make us question and make us feel like that maybe we're not on the right track or that we're not safe. Or here's another one. The devil, you do something that's wrong and the devil is going to make you feel like that's OK because everybody else is doing it. Or that's what's popular today. Or I don't feel like it's wrong or this person makes me happy or what I'm engaged in gives me pleasure or satisfaction. See, if it feels good, it must not be wrong, right? Well, no, that's not right. And so the devil will try to manipulate and control our feelings. So that leads us to the third point, that if you believe your feelings, you may, and I will put a may in there, you may be choosing to believe the devil. Feelings of doubt and despair and guilt come from the devil. Anger and lust and greed come from the devil. Anger is something that is anger that is misused is something that comes from the devil. 
when we allow that anger to seed itself in such a way that that acts toward other people in a way that may be harmful to them or to seek revenge to them. Ephesians chapter 4, he says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. But here is the clincher. Do not give the devil a foothold. And so while anger itself, in and of itself, is not necessarily a sin, that it's possible that when we have the feeling or the emotion of anger, and we don't control that anger, or direct that anger in the right kind of way, or that anger gets out of the control, what do we do? We give the devil a foothold. And so now the devil has some control of our feelings and leads us to a place that in our anger we may sin. Or lust comes from the devil. You think about King David in the Old Testament, a very familiar story to all of us, that David sinned. And what did he do? He chose to follow his carnal impulses now where did this come from it didn't come from god it didn't it didn't come from dwelling upon those things that the god had provided for him that we read about in the psalms it came from the devil that he chose to follow his lustful passions and was led astray and committed the sin of adultery or i think about greed where does greed come from i'm reminded in matthew 19 of the rich young ruler they came to Jesus, you know, the question, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And you remember in that text that Jesus told him the various commandments and, and the young man felt good. He said, well, these I've, I've kept from my youth up. What like I yet? And all, when you take all three of the counts, we learn that he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. And so the rich young ruler was told to go and to sell all that you have and give it to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And the Bible says that he went away sorrowful, for he had much possessions. And so here was a a covetous feeling, greed, if you please, that filled up his heart. He didn't feel like giving this up, giving up his wealth in order to serve Jesus. Well, the attitude and the feeling of greed and covetous comes from the devil. What we have to understand is how powerful our emotions are. And the devil can use our emotions to move us in the wrong direction. And so when you find yourself emotionally driven, you need to ask yourself, are these feelings I have good and godly feelings? Or are these feelings coming from something the devil's trying to plant in my mind and heart? Feelings of doubt are from the devil. Someone put it this way. They said, if you feed your faith, your faith will grow. If you feed your doubts, your doubts will grow. Whichever one you feed will surely grow. And that is exactly right. And so we need to be careful that we're not listening or following the devil. The Christian life, you see, is not based on feelings. And so while we have certainly noticed that God cares about our feelings and we can have feelings that are right and proper, the fact of the matter is that the Christian life is not based on our feelings. And I, again, I don't deny that we have feelings. And we may have feelings about things of, of a moral nature, or ethical nature, or religious practices. But my faith now comes into play, and my faith says there is an objective standard. And faith says that I must subjugate my feelings to my faith 
and I must be led by faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, Paul wrote, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, we could, we could take that, I think have some liberty with that, and I could say we walk by faith and not by feelings. That'd be accurate, wouldn't it? We walk by faith and not by feelings. And so we need to be careful that in everything we do of a religious nature, not to say, well, does it feel right? But is it by faith? Am I walking by faith? The wise man said in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You've heard someone say, well, it just feels right. Well, it, it may feel right. In fact, you remember the mantra of the judges? It's repeated twice. And it's in the very last verse of the book of Judges that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But it was a terrible time in Israel. It, it, was, it was a time of corruption and, and ungodliness and unrighteousness and immorality. I mean, it was a low point in Israel's history. Why? Because they were operating based on what they felt was okay and not what God had revealed to them. Consider this contrast. The word faith in the Bible is used 272 times. The word believe, 149. Believe, 72. And belief, 1. Now, again, it may depend on which translation you're using. I think I got this from New King James, which I typically use. So that, if I added right, and someone will tell me I'm sure I didn't, I got 494 times that you have some form here of the idea of faith. Now, contrast that with fewer feelings. And the version I was using, I found it a total of four times. So that kind of tells me something. There is a tremendous emphasis on faith. Now, I do understand that the concept of feelings is mentioned more than four times. I've already mentioned more than that in the lesson, so I understand that. But I'm just trying to make the point here that the Bible has a lot to say about walking by faith. It says that we walk by faith. It doesn't say that we walk by feelings. You see, our happiness is a very strong emotion. And people want to sometimes apply that feeling of happiness to a situation as opposed to what the faith says. When it comes to faith, it is possible to think something is right religiously because we like it. And it's not necessarily so. And so then that leads us to this. That Christianity is learning how to relate feelings to faith. Now, how, how do you do that? Well, let me give you some biblical examples here. Let's begin with what the Apostle Paul said. He said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, you see, that's subjugating feeling to faith, isn't it? That is following faith, our relationship with God, as opposed to how we feel. Paul said, I've crucified myself, my desires, my feelings, my wants, want tos, and I am living by faith and walking with Christ. Hebrews 11 one says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not as yet seen. The substance, substance, you can just look at that word, 
carries with it, and the, and the literal word of the Greek language carries the idea of an undergirding, uh, of a foundation. And so faith is that undergirding, that foundation, that substance of the things hoped for. Not feelings. Not our feelings, not our emotions, not our happiness, but it is the idea of our faith. And so you want to have a hope that is steadfast and sure, that is anchored in Jesus Christ, then faith must be the substance, you see, of that hope. Now, there is the right, there is a place for the right kind of feelings in Christianity. I'm not denying at all that there shouldn't be feelings in, in Christianity. And if, it's, if we're not careful, we can go to the extreme and try to eradicate all kind of emotion from Christianity. So, let's look at this. The facts of the gospel tell us what it is that we need to have faith in. Now, <clears throat> we could take the time, and I'm not going to list all the facts of the gospel, but there are certain facts of the gospel like this. God loves you. Man is sinned. Man needs a redeemer. Jesus died on the cross for us. If we believe on Jesus, repent of our sins, confess our allegiance to him, and are baptized for the mission of sins, then we can have salvation. Those are facts, aren't they? They're, they're the facts of the gospel. They're revealed. They're not hard to understand. You don't have to know the Greek to understand those. They are simple. They're easy to see. And yet they elude a lot of people. And isn't it amazing how we get in discussions with people about salvation and want to argue with you about salvation and say, well, I just I just feel like I'm saved. I remember a number of years ago when I lived in Tennessee, a lady and her husband visited church. She was a friend of one of our one of our young members. And she had gone to a very popular church in, in, in Tennessee and in other parts of the south. They really had the idea of praying a sinner's prayer. And she had done that. And had gone to that church, and her friend invited her. And she told me, she, I asked her if she was saved. I like to ask that before I start studying people. Do you believe you're saved? Uh, and if they tell you yes, then you, you know where you need to proceed. After that, they tell you no, then you go from there. But, but she felt like that she was saved. Now, I knew where she went to church. And so what do you think I said? I said, that's great. You said, you said that? I said, yeah. Isn't it great that someone feels saved? Well, I told her that. I said, well, tell me, in the vernacular they use, I said, tell me your salvation experience. And she began to tell me. We were sitting at a table, and I had a pad there. And so I just wrote it down on one side of the pad. And her salvation experience wasn't anything like I read in the book of Acts, but I wrote it all down. I said, now, is that about right? Well, that's about right. I said, well, that, that's really interesting. Now, let me just read to you. And I just read her a few passages out of the Bible. The facts, the facts from Acts. Hey, that might be a good title for our study next quarter. The facts from Acts, okay? And, and, and we just wrote them down on the other side of the page. And I got done. Read, reading the passages and writing it down. I said, do you see any problem there? And I'll never forget. We're sitting there and the lady goes. Back and forth. 
She said, well, well, that's not what I did. I said, yeah, I noticed that. Well, she had a few questions about it. And we talked about them, and it shook her up. Two weeks later, she was baptized for mission of sins. She had a feeling. She felt like she was saved until she learned the facts of the gospel. You know what that'll do? That'll give you a good feeling. <laughs> that'll give you a good feeling. That when you, when you understand and accept the facts and have faith in the facts, your feeling is going to be right. Now, I'm going to show you that I didn't just make that up, Kevin, and all the rest of you. So let's go to a Bible example of conversion, the Ethiopian treasurer, and Acts chapter 8. And the question was asked by the eunuch, or by Philip to the eunuch, do you understand what you're reading as Philip joined himself to the chariot as he, he was riding along? Now, you understand, if, 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 you're not, if you're not familiar with this story, I assume most of you are, but if you're not familiar with this story, that this, this eunuch, this treasurer from Ethiopia, was a good man. He had traveled probably about 600 miles from his home in Ethiopia all the way to Jerusalem. And Acts 8 says he went there to worship. I mean, who traveled 600 miles to worship? He did. He evidently was a proselyte to Judaism, I'm guessing. And he went there to worship. So he's a good man. And no doubt he felt good about where he was religiously. And so he's reading Isaiah 53, and Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And so Philip began at that same place in Isaiah 53. He opened the scripture, and it says he preached Jesus to him. Now, that's, he preached the facts. Now, we're not told. You know some about Bible accounts. We're not told everything that he said, how long the lesson was, or how long, what all he said from it. But he just said he preached Jesus to him. And so I know that he got the facts. Now, as they were riding along, the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so now we see faith. The treasurer had faith in the facts of the gospel. Now what happened? So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and baptized him. Parenthetically, folks. If baptism is just sprinkling a little water on someone's head or just pouring a little water over them, you don't need to go down into the water. I mean, if, if, that, if, that will, if that will satisfy the requirement of baptism, I'm not getting wet. All right? I'm not getting wet. I'm just reaching down there and getting some water and cup it in my hands, pouring over his head. Now, we can get into the Greek about baptizo and immersion, all that sort of thing, and that's fine. But they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And when they got down into the water, he baptized him. So when he tried to tell me one time, he said, well, he got down in the water and he just poured water over his head. I didn't even make good nonsense. Anyway, I, I, I digress, all right? And Philip... <clears throat> 
And he came up out of the water. And the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. Feelings. He went on his way rejoicing. Here, ladies and gentlemen, was a happy man in the Lord. Why wouldn't you go on your way rejoicing? Why wouldn't you be excited to now be a Christian? You've, you've learned the truth. You've learned the gospel. You know the facts. And your faith has led you in obedience to that. And you are happy. And so I don't want anybody to take away from this lesson that over here at the Church of Christ, we don't believe in emotion. We don't believe in feeling. I hope we believe in the right kind of feeling, the right kind of rejoicing, the right kind of feeling that is based upon the facts of our faith. Well, that leads me then to the last point. Number six, facing life with faith will make you feel better. When you face life with faith, based on the system of faith, you're going to have feelings that are right in the sight of God. Because here's what happened. Faith, your faith, and the one faith and the system of faith will produce peace in your life. And there we come to our word of the month again. Peace. In Romans chapter 5, in verses 1 and 2, he said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, now, I believe that is talking about the system of faith. You know, in Ephesians 4, it said there is one faith. Or in Jude 3, the faith once delivered, to contend for the faith once delivered all the saints. So the word there is used by metonymy to indicate the system of faith, the gospel. And we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who also we have access by faith. In other words, our faith in the faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so, when we have faith in the faith, then we're going to have a good feeling. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rejoice and we're going to have the peace of God that passes all understanding. There, there's something wrong with Christians that are unhappy, that are miserable, that are whining, that are complaining that look like they just uh, tasted some kind of sour medicine or something. There's something wrong with that. That we ought to be a happy people, a rejoicing people in the Lord. Faith and the faith produces peace. Not only that, faith generates joy. I mean, not just circumstantial happiness that, that is fading, but I mean genuine, deep-seated joy. And so Paul talked to the Philippians about the idea of the joy of faith. And he said he was confident that they would remain and continue with you all for your progress and the joy of faith. There is joy in genuine faith. Young people, don't ever look at Christianity as something that's restricted that takes the fun out of life. Jesus is not a kill joy. He brings real joy. Because what you don't see sometimes is these other people that act like they're having a ball that you don't see where that leads. You don't see where that life of dissipation and wildness leads them to a place, ultimately, not only a lack of inner peace and joy, a happiness, but a lack of joy. There's not genuine joy in that kind of life. The real faith brings joy. Not only that, faith is the very heart of our hope. 
Back to Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance again of the things hoped for, the evidence of things not as yet seen. And so it's the heart of our hope. It's what our hope is all about. And then faith focuses our love in the right place. Love is a powerful emotion. In fact, a number of years ago, a fellow wrote a book, Situation Ethics, and he said there was only one law. It's the law of love. Well, it, that can be a very emotional thing. Of course, he was wrong about that, and he was wrong in his application of it. But look in First John. I didn't put this on the PowerPoint. You might like to read this with me. First John chapter 4. If not, just, just listen. I'll read the first four verses. But you could read the whole chapter on this. First John chapter 5, John writes that whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot him also loves him who is begotten of him. Then he says, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and what? Keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. One version says not grievous. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith, our faith. And so the kind of love that is a biblical love loves God, loves the commandments of God and allows the love of God and the love for the word of God to lead them to be walking by faith and not by feelings. Faith focuses our love in the right place. You see, it gives you a different perspective on your problems. It presents a new challenge, a new approach to your your challenges that you face. It offers hope over discouragement. Let me ask you this. When you face life's trials, how do you feel? I dare say in this room this afternoon, all of you to some degree probably have got some challenge, some trial. Now, maybe there's the one person here that say, no, Ken, my life is going great. I mean, like I have zero problems right now. No stress, no burdens, no trials, no temptations. It's great. Come up and see me afterwards. I want to shake your hand. But most of us probably got some trial, some burden, some feeling that's pressing us down a little bit. So how do you face life's trials? And how do you feel when you face those? Well, Peter tells us the right approach to this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, and I think I'm going to, I got, I got enough time to do this, right? We're not in a big hurry tonight. Okay. Let me just back up to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according to his abundant mercies, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed the last time. And there, here it is. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, that's, a, that's an emotion, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're grieved. You feel the feeling of grief by trials. 
He said that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's that's the right feeling that we ought to have when we face challenges and problems and we do it by faith. Again, there's something wrong with us when we face these things and we're all wringing our hands and and all worried and, oh, I don't know what's going to happen and and it's terrible and and I I just don't know if I can survive this. I don't know if I can make it or not. I, I, I had a person tell me her husband, her husband was terminal. He was in the hospital. He's terminal. And she said to me after church of all places one Sunday, she said, if he dies, I'm going to fall to pieces. And I patted her on the back a little bit and I tried to encourage her. But I told my wife later, I said, you know, she's just predicting her own problem because she's already predicted I'm going to fall to pieces. Well, don't look at it that way, that if he dies, that I'm going to be a person of faith and I'm going to face this. And I'm going to be strong. Nor Yes, I'm going to grieve. Yes, I'm going to be, be sad. Yes, I'm going to have sorrow in my life. It's going to hurt. But I'm going to face it with faith. In the Lord, and I'm going to dig down deep, and I'm going to find a joy that the world doesn't know because I know where I'm going. I know the end of my salvation. That's what that's about. Now, you you can't buy that kind of feeling. It's not for sale. There's no amount of education and there's no amount of degrees that you could get from Texas A&M or Texas Tech or any place else that is going to give you the intellectual stability and the acumen to be able to deal with things like that, with that kind of feeling and that kind of joy. And if you're the richest man in the world, who is now the guy that owns Amazon is now the richest man in the world. He had a good day few few weeks ago i think he said his net worth went up 81 billion dollars that one day i can't even wrap my mind around that went up that much i mean that's crazy that's insane but you know all of that money won't buy you this kind of joy that peter's talking about it won't do it you know what will you having faith in the faith understanding the facts of faith and having faith in that and allowing the feelings you have to move from that. And so when you face trials, you rejoice. With a joy, he even says, a joy that is inexpressible. Wow. Because we know where, we're, don't we know where we're going? If you've been here Wednesday night and listened to Cody's class on Revelation, you ought to know where we're going. The devil's going to lose. And we worry about the economy and the stock market and who the president is and how the United States is looked at in other places in the world and bad things are going to happen and what it worries going. Well, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. And I know that it's, it's frustrating to see the sin in the world and, and the moral depravity in the world. But 
Take your eyes off that and look around here at some of these good people, God's people. There's still a lot of salt left in the world, folks. We have a lot to be happy and to rejoice about and have joy inexpressible even when we're going through trials because we know the end of our salvation. We know who we are and we know where we're going. Facing life with faith will make you feel better. Faith, facts, faith, and feelings. How do you allow your feelings to relate to your faith? That's the question for you tonight. You sure have listened good. I appreciate it. If you're using a hymn book, you can turn to the number suggested. Put up your notes and let this lesson sink in. I hope you'll take it home a little bit. You know, I'm just thinking, Chris, that uh, those of us that like basketball, there's a lot of emotions. You think about the emotions of these teams that lost on a last-second shot. And you look and hear kids, I mean, they're on the floor weeping. And then there are other people that are jumping up and down for joy. And that's, that's kind of a metaphor for the way life is, isn't it? That we all find ourselves on one end of that spectrum when you look at the circumstances of life. And that's just for a ball going through a hoop. And I know some people don't get that, how important that is. I do jest a little bit with that, a little bit. But we laugh at that. But I wonder if the Lord doesn't look down at some of the things we get all bent out of shape about and just kind of smile and shake his head a little bit, that we're all bent out of shape about that. That, that situation, that problem, don't you know where you're going? Don't allow your emotions to get away from you and to lead you away from your faith. Hang on tight to your faith and allow the feelings you have to be regulated by it. And God will bless you. We've had a good day today. If there's any tonight that need to make their lives right with God, our brother Todd came forward this morning to make amends for past unfaithfulness. Maybe there's another brother or sister that needs to do the same thing. We sure would love to welcome you and to embrace you and to pray for you and to welcome you back to the family of God. If you're not a Christian, you need to do what the Ethiopian treasurer did that we talked about a while ago. And listen to the facts of the gospel. And have faith in the facts of the gospel. And then you have a feeling that's right with God. How about you? Will you surrender your life, your all, to our Lord Jesus Christ? While together we stand, while we sing.